Warm greetings to all of you around the world. I'm Rod McNair, and we are privileged to welcome you to this year's Behind the Work film. We hope you're having a wonderful Feast of Tabernacles wherever you are. The feast reminds us that God is preparing this whole world for Christ's reign for a thousand years. The work is proclaiming the coming kingdom of God. And today in the work, we're experiencing new levels of growth and expansion that we haven't had in some time. Details of these things are brought out from time to time by Mr. Weston in the coworker letter, in the video member updates, and also in the world ahead. But it's helpful sometimes to get a behind-the-scenes look at what's going on in the work. That's the reason for this film. So to accomplish this goal, we've asked some of the men who are deeply involved in some of the decisions and plans of the work going forward to come to the Tomorrow's World studio today to have a roundtable discussion to talk about these things. Joining me today are presiding evangelist Gerald Weston, director of media operations, evangelist Richard Ames, Tomorrow's World executive editor and pastor Wallace Smith, and manager of digital media and elder Mike DeSimone. We also have some video segment highlights from several of our international regional directors. So welcome to this year's Feast film, Behind the Work 2021, Taking the Gospel to the World. So greetings, gentlemen. It's really a pleasure to be with all of you today to talk about something that is near and dear to all of our hearts. To start the discussion, let me direct a question to Mr. Gerald Weston. Mr. Weston, to start out, could you define what the work of God is? Well, thank you, Mr. McNair. Appreciate the uh, question. I think that most of our members would know the answer to this, but let's just review it because sometimes it's easy to overlook. Obviously, Jesus made it very clear that we are to preach the good news of the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom of God into all the world as a witness unto all the nations and also the name of Jesus Christ. The world has a different idea of what Christ is or who he was. We also have the responsibility of warning this world as we hurtle toward the end of this age and total destruction, and also preparing for the world tomorrow, the the kingdom of God ourselves, to rule at that time. Why are we doing the work? What is so important about the gospel message to the world? I think it's really important for us to recognize that God is not calling everybody today. And I often ask the question, if he's not calling everyone, why is he calling anyone? And the answer is very clear. He's called us to do a work. If you look at it historically, Noah had a calling. The various uh, prophets down through time had a specific calling. Jonah had a calling. He ran from it. And God is going to hold us responsible for for getting the the gospel out and the warning to this world. In fact, let me just turn to a a scripture that I, I like to turn to from time to time. It's in the book of Proverbs. I think it shows the the responsibility that we've been given here in Proverbs 24. And beginning in verse 10, he says, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. 
And at the end of this age, we have a lot of people who are not taking on the responsibility they've been given. He said, deliver those who are drawn toward death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. And we see a world that is stumbling to the slaughter. He says, if you say, surely we did not know, not know this, does he who weighs the hearts consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? So God is going to hold us responsible if we don't do the work that that he's called us to do. So let me take it from a different angle. How can we possibly do the work? I mean, we are such a small group, and there are 7.54 billion people out there. Mr. Weston, how can we possibly even fathom that we can accomplish the work? Well, I think it's very clear that Christ is going to have to do it through us. That was made very clear by Mr. Debarapartian in the last ministerial conference we had. But I, I wanted to bring out a few statistics because we may think that we're small, that we can't do much. But the Worldwide Church of God under Mr. Armstrong did have an impact in this world. When I was in high school and God was beginning to work with me, let's say in 1963, Do people realize that the circulation of the Plain Truth magazine at that time was 400,000? We're approaching uh, half a million right now, so we're actually larger than the Plain Truth in 1963. A year later, it was 510,000. We should easily surpass that this year. That was when uh, I left home and, and actually began attending church. Uh, entered Ambassador College, it was 635,000, and four years later it was 2,110,000 subscribers. And four years went from 635,000 to 2,110,000. Now, that kind of growth happened then. If we had the same approach then that we have today, oh, we're just a small work, we're not going to do anything, I guess we could sit around and, and, uh, accomplish nothing, but I think that that's very encouraging. You ask the question, how is the work going to be done? When you read the Great Commission that Jesus gave in Matthew 28 and verse 18, he said, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Uh, The King James says, All power has been given to me in heaven and earth. So what's the next sentence? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How did he preface the commission? By saying, he has all power and authority in heaven and earth. So that's how the work is going to be done. But he's using fallible, weak human beings. But those human beings are dedicated And uh, he uses God's Holy Spirit through us to do the work. We need physical resources. We're talking about spiritual resources, but we need physical resources as well. That's why we have co-workers. I remember being back in Meriden, Connecticut when God was calling me, and and I had donated to the Radio Church of God, and I got this letter. Uh, You are now a co-worker with Christ. And what an impact it had on me. I I can contribute to part of this work. Uh, Mr. Weston has mentioned how COVID-19 would have uh, financially devastated the church. We would be really backwards. But let me give you some statistics regarding the income. From 2018 to 2019, our income increased 3.7%. 
The assets increased 25.7%. Assets include, of course, property, estates that are donated to us. From 2019 to 2020, and we've just posted the audit, the official audit of uh, 2020 on our website, and I might mention that's on lcg.org. If you click on About Us and then go roll down to the bottom of the page, you will get the audit reports for the last six years, including uh, 2020. And this is what happened for 2020. Our income increased by 23.4%. The assets increased by 59%. That's from estates and, and property. When we would expect to have a reverse financially, God actually blessed us extra. And we still need to be praying for more co-workers and donors and, and ministers and and uh, those laborers in the harvest, as Jesus said in Matthew 9, verses 37 and 38, to be praying for more laborers to come out in the harvest. Uh, so that's that's an ongoing effort that we do. But we, we want to make sure that we are, are praying for more co-workers and donors. And uh, God is the one, as he said, uh, you know, Paul said, uh, you, you have uh, planted and I've watered. But God gives the increase, and we trust in him to provide the resources. How does the leadership of the church make decisions in determining the the direction of God's work today? How do we determine God's will? Are there specific plans, strategies, data-based techniques that we use? Um, you know, at least one of the ways that uh, we, we've been trying to make some decisions is through doing some benchmarking and trying to understand where do we stand, you know, where are we, what opportunities are out there, how much do we want to grow, how quickly can we grow, what potential is there, and, you know, what resources do we have, and, and think all of that through, thinking about what goals that we want to have in terms of a strategy. Do we want to have reached the world in another hundred years from now? How hard do we try? Do we want to do it so that we try hard enough so that in another 100 years we can reach the world? What about 50 years? How much effort, how much energy, where do we funnel our resources so that we can actually do it? Do we, 50 years? What about 20 years? What about 10 years? How hard are we trying? Are we on a trajectory that would even get us there or th that would even do it in any reasonable amount of time? So, Mr. Smith, let me throw this to you. When we speak of the work, when we speak of God's work and, and accomplishing uh, what Mr. DeSimone is talking about, is it wrong to use advertising, marketing principles? Is that appropriate? Uh, or are we a church and should we not? Go down that route. Right. I see. I see where you're going, and and that that's an excellent question, because it can you start to hear about uh, benchmarking and and goals and right. and some of these things, and it can sound so uh, worldly. It can sound technical, and I think we need to be careful uh, about that because it's not. If you go back to Mr. Armstrong and the example that he set, it's really fascinating that in terms of supercharging God's work in the modern era, which he did through Herbert W. Armstrong, God didn't call a theologian from some ivory tower. He didn't call uh, some vast uh, intellectual in the academic world or something. 
he called a marketing guy. He called a guy that knew the the trade and knew what to do to reach people. And I used to enjoy have for even now if I'll go back and look at some of them some of his hand drawn advertisements and some of the stuff and you would look at his advertising work and you look at his work for the work and he brought every bit of those skills that he had been taught and that he had learned to bear on doing the gospel. Again, much like the Apostle Paul, he used everything he could think of to do. I've heard some say, no, again, just just preach it and don't worry about those things. This is this is God's tithe money. These are God's offerings. I think this is a good place to mention it because I'm not sure if these men will, but uh, on their behalf, let me say, I greatly appreciate the example that Mr. Weston has set, Mr. Ames has set, and how they get a great deal of counsel before making some decisions. You know, they'll take things to the Council of Elders, or we'll talk about them at, at lunch. They do their best to try to get a lot of input, recognizing members have prayed over these tithes. You know, they've prayed that their offerings would be used to some particular purpose because sometimes there's multiple opportunities and you have to, to weigh that. And we don't always make the right decisions. There are times we've, we've, we've gone through something, tried to do our best, and then learned it wasn't the best idea. So how do you do that? How do you make that balance between investing a lot of resources to give it its best opportunity uh, versus you know something you want to test first? It's it's a real challenge. But when people hear things like that, when they hear you know marketing terms, when they hear those kinds of words, just recognize we're trying to follow in the footsteps of those who went before us. And those who went before us, Mr. Armstrong, Dr. Meredith, they put every skill they could think of into doing right by the gospel and honoring Jesus Christ in terms of trying to to do it with our best. I think there's a scripture that really fits in with this very well. That's over in Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 6. It says, In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening do not withhold your hand, For you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. You know, God could make every decision for us, and we would always prosper, but he allows us to be a part of that process. And I think that that's that's one of the the wonderful things. He he wants us to have some, some satisfaction in what we can do. So we try things, and sometimes we, we utterly fail. Uh, but that's part of life, and God allows for that. As it says here, you're not, you don't know whether this is going to prosper or that, or both will prosper. As presiding evangelist, how do you make these decisions? I mean, what, what, what's the process to you in terms of trying to weigh all these things? Well, as, as was brought out uh, by, by Mr. Smith, uh, we get a multitude of counsel. That That's a, a godly principle to, to get a multitude of counsel. And and sometimes people say, well, there is uh, dissension on the counsel. I, I would totally disagree with that. But I would say that all the time that I've been on the council since the beginning of the living church of God, there have been different opinions. But if you don't have different opinions, why have a council? Uh, that's because people bring different things to the to the fore. And I've noticed uh, over the years where I might have a certain thought or direction that I think things should go until I get in with everybody else and hear another side of things and realize that, well, I didn't know as much as I thought I did about that subject. And that's one of the safety factors of a council is that you bring in a lot of different thoughts from a lot of different angles. Mr. Ames, do you have anything to add in terms of the decision-making, how these 
things are decided. Yeah. Of course, we all need to ask for wisdom. We have a whole book of Proverbs on the matter of, of wisdom. And uh, it talks about those who don't have the fear of God. They do not choose the fear of God and are fools. And uh, we all pray for wisdom. And, and with, with the various experiences, those on the council, some have been for many, many years and had various experiences that are unique and that bring a different perspective to the issue. We always pray for God's guidance and inspiration, and yet uh, Mr. Weston has to make the ultimate decision, and we appreciate his leadership along that line and, and pray for his wisdom and our wisdom, of course, as well. So let's talk a little bit about a, a specific question that comes up in terms of making decisions on the television program. What are some of the limits as far as topics that we can actually address and say on the television program, and how do you make those determinations? How do you how do you uh, determine to handle things wisely and yet still sigh and cry and and lift up your voice like a trumpet? Sure. I think a lot of times our members wish we would be stronger on the telecast. At least some of our members think that. Others think that we are strong. But the point is we have limitations as to what we can do. I, I often think of your telecast on the miracle of Dunkirk where you talked about the weather and that was censored or not shown in I think it was Australia, uh, maybe New Zealand as well, because you did not mention global warming. Now, of course, that, that's the most absurd, ridiculous thing that you could ever imagine, but that's a type of thing that we deal with from time to time. We have learned by experience that if we want it to go to New Zealand or Australia uh, and the UK, that uh, if we show a pride flag, a, a rainbow flag, as we are saying something negative, then it's going to be censored. So in some cases, we don't even send the program to Australia and New Zealand. We know it will be censored. One of the more recent ones that was censored was on COVID and pandemics, and we had a couple letters. Thankfully, they didn't go to the uh, the higher authorities, but they did go to the station saying that we were being negative toward the Chinese because in the program I quoted from Michael Lay, L-A-I, which I think is Chinese name, as saying that most flus and pan pandemics come out of China because of the way that they eat. Interestingly, that program, not that exact program, but one of them that led up to it was given in Hong Kong, and we had no trouble. They didn't have a problem with it because they knew it. I could just mention that even though we are censored on some of those stations with some of those programs, other stations do air the controversial topic. So Christ opens the doors. We have to be careful knowing where we are censored and where we're not censored. So, But we're thankful, uh, surprising, some of our strongest uh, programs are aired in UK and Canada, uh, but some are not. In some of these places, New Zealand, Australia, UK, how do we get our, our, our message there if the telecast is being censored uh, are there different sort of rules with uh, the different types of media that we, we, we produce? Well, Mr. Weston's already given the limitations that we're talking about, but still, those, the gospel has many different aspects. So, even so we're not, not able to talk about same-sex marriage, we're still talking about the sins of the world. We're still getting the message across very, very strongly. 
And then, of course, uh, we realize that other d- dimensions, such as same-sex marriage, we can write in the Tomorrow's World magazine that we cannot do on the telecast. The Bible requires us, in through Isaiah, cry aloud and spare not. It's not a matter of sparing anyone. It's a matter of being wise as serpents, harmless as doves. We, we want to actually get everything that should be taught and, and preach those things to the world. But it's a matter of, you know, how can you do that? When you actually look at even Jesus Christ during his own ministry on earth, when you look at Paul, you look at, there was a certain savvy. There was a certain intelligence that was applied. And that's what we're doing. You look at the telecast, for instance, and there's, Things that are harder to say and stay on the air are to have that program aired, but then you look at the literature that is offered. You look at, for instance, I think one of my favorite products we've produced recently is the Mad DVD, A World Gone Mad. And you look at what we say on all that, on a telecast, it would really be hard for that to come across. But on that product, in people's homes right there, they're still seeing those things. We see those things on the, on the magazine. You know, I've heard some say, why aren't you stronger about abortion? Well, we literally call it a holocaust in the magazine. Is that is that strong enough? I think my very first program that was was banned, actually the very first one I ever made, was because I talk about abortion as the wholesale slaughter of children in the United States. But at the same time, we're still saying those things in the magazine. We're saying those things in our products. The telecast is not the only means by which these things come out. We just have to be smart about it. But we absolutely do cry aloud. In fact, people who I hear complain sometimes are people that aren't even trying to get these messages out themselves. It's a very hollow complaint. Mr. Simone, question for you. Can you just tell us a few of the different vehicles that we are using? You know, Facebook is one. Uh, the telecast is another. What, what are some of the other vehicles or uh, platforms or means that we are using to get out, uh, to, to start people or to, to funnel them into more meaningful connection? So certainly television, um, that is a, a primary driver. That is one of the primary drivers. Uh, Facebook, um, you know, we, we use paid advertising for that. That is, you know, Organically, it can it can do okay, and we will continue to grow our organic efforts in these things. But really, it's a, it getting in front of people. You know, so on Facebook, for example, you know, you can have an organic following, you know, very high numbers. But organically, if you're an organization, they only put your posts in front of about one to two percent of your following, right? So that's that's what you get for free. So. If you want to get in front of a lot of people, you just pay for it, and they're ready to take your money. And we can get literature in front of people for very, very low costs. But we also have YouTube and um, Instagram, and we have Twitter as well. What can we focus on and get great results from? It's easy to focus on everything and get nothing done. So... The question that, that we've discussed and I've tried to ask is, what can we do and do great at it? Because if you can do great at it, well, then you have a better potential, you know, than just kind of okay at a lot of things. We, we've hired somebody recently to work on search engine optimization. And I think it's really important that way because to give you an idea, going back a couple of years, I gave a program on Tiny Fingers and Toes. Now, that's a very good title for a magazine. 
but it was the worst possible title for search engine optimization, in other words, for the Internet. Because it, who, who's going to search for tiny fingers and toes, any part of it, tiny fingers or tiny toes? And I think that we're, we're learning more how the titles are so incredibly important, and that's one thing that Mr. Ames always has. Uh, he puts focus on titles, having a title for everything. Yeah, in editorial, for instance, we have uh, I have William Williams you know, on the staff, and he'll actually go through. We put it together for print, but then he'll he'll go through and using some tools Mr. D. Simone has provided and some training he's provided. Then William will go through and and do an analysis for search engine optimization, and we'll make the smallest of tweaks, just little tweaks here and there. We will change the titles in some cases to make sure people who find them on a search engine understand what the article is about. But but he'll make small tweaks, and it's amazing the the little things you can do to improve the odds that someone interested in your content will actually find your content. We're not talking about fooling anyone, but if someone is interested in, say, the story of Lazarus, we want them finding our article about that. So, so how do we get in their way when there's so many other people out there? It's just a matter of using, of using those tools. So, Mr. DeSimone, can you explain, when we're talking about search optimization, what does that mean? So you go to Google, right, and you say, hey, I want to know about the Sabbath, for example. So a person goes to their computer or their phone, most likely, right? And they type in, you know, what is the Sabbath day? Well, the idea with search engine optimization is that, let's say we have articles on the Tomorrow's World website or maybe the Living Church of God website where we would like to rank on that first page of the Google search results, right? And so there are certain rules that are, are generally encouraged to follow in order to be able to rank on, ideally you're on the first page, right? Ideally you're the first, uh, you know, the first item up at the top. Now you could pay for ads so that when somebody searches that, you can have an ad that shows up there. But the great thing about, you know, organic search is what it's called, just somebody going and typing it in. It has a high intent behind it. The person who typed it in, they wanted to know exactly about the thing they typed in, right? Not an ad that kind of works for you, this type of thing. So it has a high intent, and it's free. You do it right, and it can take time to build that, you know, in, in, in your sites and so forth. But you do it, and it's it's free. You don't have to pay money to get in front of people for doing that. Now you had to pay in work and effort and to get that done but no money, and uh, so that's the idea of search engine optimization. What are the, the, let's say, heavy hitters right now? What are, what are the things that we feel like are working the best? One thing that I would say is, is television. Uh, I know that there are those who think that it's a waste of money, a waste of time, but honestly, uh, it's still, uh, I, I would say it's that and the magazine are, are the heavy hitters there. And the telecast isn't just on television. It's on Roku, which is really another station. It's on uh, YouTube. And the highest polling activities we have out there are the telecasts. In Spanish language, we have, I think, about a dozen that have over a million views. And uh, several of them over two million views. We have uh, over a million views in, in English on uh, the program on Ezekiel. So... Television is, is still very powerful. I, I should say that 
the telecast as we understand it, whether it be on a traditional television station or on YouTube. But there are numerous other ones out here that we're, we're using and others that have been very effective. I know that uh, Mr. DeSimone's doing some whiteboards. And what's interesting is that sometimes that brings subscribers to our YouTube channel, whereas the telecasts uh, don't bring as many subscribers. It's these short programs that bring the subscribers, but once they're subscribing, then they have the availability of other other uh, items that we have advertising out there. Mr. Ames, speaking of other print uh, material, from time to time we, we hear about mid-lit offers. Can you explain what those are and how they began? Yes. Well, years ago, of course, the MPD, of course, uh, Mail Processing Department, has this huge warehouse. We found that we had this inventory sometimes we wouldn't have a telecast, and we have several thousands of booklets. They're sitting there on the shelves there in the warehouse. Well, what can we do with them? So that gave the idea of offering that to particular people who might have interest. For example, if it were a, a booklet on prophecy, we would check to see our subscriber list and see how many people have ordered other booklets on prophecy, and then we would offer that to them. And it has been very, very successful. Uh, we've been able to give those people what they need, and at the same time, surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, 6 to 10% of those people who requested are contributing as well, and they become co-workers. But it's been a really good process to help us to keep a balance in our inventory. Well, speaking of print materials, we also have some very interesting developments overseas. Mr. Peter Nathan is the regional director of the UK and Europe and, and Africa. And uh, now we're going to see a short video segment. Take it away, Mr. Nathan. Thank you, Mr. McNair. And greetings to everyone keeping the feast this year from all of the brethren here in this region of the world. I'd like to share with you some encouraging news about growth happening throughout this region that points to the future success of this work in preparation for the establishment of the Kingdom of God. During the time of a pandemic lockdown, we've seen dramatic growth in requests for the Tomorrow's World Bible Correspondence Course. This started last year in the United Kingdom where we experienced outstanding growth in uh, demand for literature and especially for the first lesson of the correspondence course. Yet we're well aware that it's too easy for people to request the initial lesson and then never follow through on requesting the subsequent lessons. Our experience in the United Kingdom in 2020 was that more than 5,000 requests for the correspondence course were received, a 650% increase over the previous year. But more importantly, the number of people moving from the first to subsequent lessons almost doubled in 2020, while in 2021 it's grown sevenfold. It didn't end there. Throughout the region, the Tomorrow's World Bible Correspondence Course is available in seven different languages. English, French, Dutch, German, Portuguese, Spanish, and in Southern Africa, 
the Afrikaans language. English and French readers are scattered throughout the entire region, while the other languages are largely confined to the host nations. Most of these languages have also experienced a similar growth to the English. It started later in the pandemic, and this time it was something in which we were instrumental. Facebook advertisements had been started by our headquarters office in Charlotte, and then we adapted them to use in the German, Dutch, French, and English languages here in the region. The results have been startling. We could barely keep up with the literature requests received. We actually had to cut back on the number of ads so that we were able to cope. Interestingly enough, rather than just requesting the booklet offered, people were also asking in large numbers for the correspondence course. To give an example, Ireland used to be a devoutly Catholic country, but which lately, latterly has been take, taking rapid strides to become a modern, secular, godless society. Abortion has just been legalized following the results of an overwhelmingly supportive national referendum. Yet a couple of months of Facebook advertisements focused on Irish users has seen our correspondence re requests increase by 900% over 2020. Now, the numbers are not huge. We aren't about to convert to the Irish en masse. But the seeds are nevertheless being sown for future growth to continue our efforts to provide God's witness to these people. The same holds true in the Netherlands, where the Dutch language edition of a correspondence course has seen a 620% increase for the months to the end of May 2021. The German language has seen a 230% increase. But most impressive to my mind has been the French response. France as a nation prides itself on its secularism and the removal of religious trappings from public life. The government seeks to play down the role of religion in the lives of its citizens. Yet with Facebook advertisements that only focused on the area of Paris, we have seen a 440% increase in demand for the correspondence course. What can we anticipate, I wonder, when we roll that program out to the entirety of French-speaking Europe? Shortly, we will be advertising literature in both Afrikaans and English to the peoples of South Africa. We pray for similar response levels from both of those programs. One thing is clear. There appears to be a profound hunger for answers to the problems people face in life. We have been entrusted with those answers that we can freely give to all. It's an exciting time to be involved in the work of the living God. 
The fields, as Christ said, are still white to harvest, and the laborers, especially in the foreign language areas, are few. Your prayers for the Lord of the harvest to send more laborers into the harvest would be greatly welcomed. Over to you, Mr. McNair. Thank you, Mr. Nathan. It's exciting to see what's happening in the UK and in France and Africa. We also have a short video segment from Mr. Rob Tyler, the regional director of the Australasia region, uh, talking about some of the growth and and things happening uh, in terms of the media there in his area. Take it away, Mr. Tyler. Thank you, Mr. McNair, and warm feast greetings to everyone around the world from your brethren in Asia-Pacific. Well, what a year it's been. Certainly much has happened uh, in the world, but also in the work of God. And uh, we're excited to talk about that and to share that with you today. Certainly COVID-19 has had a huge impact on preaching the gospel to the world. And we've been thrown many challenges that we never imagined. Uh, We've been having difficulties with uh, Sabbath attendance. Uh, We've been live streaming. We've had international borders completely closed down, no travel whatsoever, uh, and in and out of lockdowns to the point where some members, some congregations have spent more time at home uh, than actually being able to meet in person on the Sabbath. We're looking like it's coming hopefully to an end soon, but we just have to wait and see with that. In the meantime, uh, the work of God, the gospel must go out and uh, it doesn't stop, brethren, and we have a job to do. Um, but with the bad news, is, there is lots of good news as well, and that's what we want to talk about today. So I just want to share with you a few things that have happened in the past year. But perhaps the most exciting of uh, developments uh, throughout the year, I, and I guess not just here in the Asia-Pacific, but also around the world, is the use of, of Facebook to help get the gospel out and through the ads that we've been creating, uh, we've had incredible responses. One of the challenges though in this part of the world is in some countries it's actually illegal to proselytize to Muslim community. What Facebook allows us to do is to target certain demographics, Christian communities within within uh, Muslim communities, within Muslim countries, so that we don't uh, cause out any problems. We certainly want to keep the ministry and and the members safe in in some of those countries. So we can target Christians in in Muslim communities, in Muslim nations. We can uh, target, say, in Japan, for example, which is primarily Shinto and Buddhist. We can actually target English speakers who are using Facebook and just really zero in on that demographic. And it's quite exciting to see the responses. Uh, Additionally, Facebook has allowed us to get into some island nations in the Pacific uh, in areas that we've never been able to get to uh, for decades. Islands like Fiji and Samoa and Tonga, uh, the Solomon Islands. Uh, We're also advertising in New Caledonia. Uh, in Singapore, and as I mentioned, in Japan. Um, so how fa- how effective uh, is Facebook? Well, to give you an example of how effective Facebook is, six weeks ago we had 18 subscribers uh, in Fiji. 
after four weeks of Facebook ads, we now have over 450 subscribers in just four weeks. So if there's a problem with Facebook, the problem is dealing and keeping up with all the requests that are coming in. Our regional offices and regional office managers have been calling and email saying, please, we don't have enough booklets. We've run out of booklets. What do you want us to do? It's a good problem to have, but we even had to pause some of our Facebook ad campaigns in order to allow, to allow our offices to catch up with all the work. Certainly Facebook has uh, been a wonderful tool, a wonderful door that God has opened up for us to do the work in this part of the world. Finally, just want to share with you some uh, another exciting development, and that is uh, language translations that we've been able to do this year. Uh, we've translated the Bible, fact or fiction in Urdu, uh, which is the official language for Pakistan. And we've also translated the Beast of Revelation in Vishlama, uh, which would be a great help for our members in Vanuatu. And we've also been translating many booklets and articles in the Thai language. And so we're very excited to be able to present the truth of God uh, to people in their own languages. Uh, some of the, sometimes for the very first time, uh, people have been able to read the truth uh, in their own tongue. And that's a wonderful thing uh, to be able to offer to people. The brethren, here in the Asia Pacific, we are just scratching the surface. Uh, there are billions of people in this part of the world. You know, Christ said that the gospel of the kingdom of God will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Brethren, if we don't do it, who will? I can confidently say that God's people in this region are excited by the growth, excited by the opportunities, uh, and excited by the blessings that we have received this year. But we are equally excited to see what is next, what doors God will open up to us in the coming months and years ahead. Brethren, have a wonderful, inspiring Feast of Tabernacles wherever you are. May God bless you all. Back to you, Mr. McNair. Thank you, Mr. Tyler, for those very interesting and exciting updates. It's nice to see what's happening in, in such a big area of the earth. Speaking about the Bible study course, which Mr. Nathan was mentioning a little bit ago, there have been some new developments, new ideas on, on packaging the Bible study course. Could you describe what we're doing now? Sure. Uh, Mr. Weston had talked about trying to update the look uh, and feel of the Bible study course. The content is evergreen. Mr. John Aguin did a marvelous job in terms of those 24 lessons. Anyone who has not been through the Bible study course needs to go through the Bible study course. But in terms of the look and feel, time had really moved on. We've even had old copies where the lo there was the old logo to the magazine. We were advertising even some channels we're not on anymore in the back of some of them. So first, uh, Mr. John Robinson led the way in terms of making it look more up to date. We presented different kinds of looks to it and, and executives liked what they saw. We went in that direction. But then also we're trying to figure out how do we get people through the Bible study course more quickly, if, if not more quickly, but more solidly so they don't just drop off. 
And I know Mr. Weston had an idea of taking the first four lessons and thinking, well, maybe that's too burdensome to receive all four at once. So we've split off the first lesson. So now when someone subscribes to the Bible study course, they get the first lesson only. And then if they go through that, when it's nice, it's small, it's an opportunity to get a success real quickly, then they can request lessons two through four. It's a bit of an experiment. We don't, we don't know if it's going to be successful or not. I think being able to test and try these different ideas, you know, different ideas, we think, hey, maybe this can work. And this goes beyond just even the Bible study course. I mean, we, we do it. We do it online. We do it in, in a lot of different ways. You know, we actually even through the telecast trying to do what we call, you know, what's called A-B testing. Right. So trying this here and trying this here and saying, hey, what works better? You know, one example of something that that did work well was. You know, we think about the order form of people ordering literature, for example. Originally, I think we had all of the options to order every piece of literature on there. And and this creates maybe friction and, and I don't know, but maybe confusion or just various issues that, that come up from that, right? Well, Mr. Wesson said, well, let's make a single item order form. And so we made that single item order form just so that when a person goes to order that one thing, they get that one thing, and they're not offered every piece of literature that we have, and it doubled the number of people who get that. You know, So anyways, that's, I think, an example of, of something that worked and the idea of A-B testing, which is great. We now are going to go to a short video from Mr. Mario Hernandez, where he will describe how one problem with the print media and getting the magazine into the Spanish-speaking world has turned into a solution. Uh, roll it now, Mr. Hernandez. The Living Church of God has been preaching the good news of the coming Kingdom of God in the Spanish language for 26 years. The true gospel of Jesus Christ has been heard, watched, or read through our telecasts, magazines, booklets, and Bible course by people who understand Spanish in 200 countries. The fruit of this work is reflected in a figure of almost 700 members and attendants present in 34 congregations in 19 different nations. Since its inception to this day, the preaching of the good news of the world tomorrow in Spanish through YouTube has received over 50 million visits. This channel has over 350,000 subscribers to our telecast. The tremendous results God has provided to his work fill us with zeal and courage to press on towards the fulfillment of the great commission entrusted by Christ to his church. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Nevertheless, the chaos generated in the Spanish world by the social, political, and economic crisis aggravated by the COVID-19 pandemic has produced a collapse in the mail system. Ninety percent of our subscribers in Latin America have been kept from receiving our publications in the last two years. As we faced this challenge, we knew God would open a door for us to be able to continue to obey his command to preach the good news 
and make disciples of all the nations. Mr. Gerald Weston, our presiding evangelist, has authorized the implementation of a digital project that will coexist with the church printed publications. The project includes the development of a new web page and an app fitted for cell phones. The name of the project will be Tomorrow's World Near You. We are all aware of the fact that we live in the digital era. Rivers of information and misinformation run at high speed in the face of thousands of millions of viewers of all ages in the entire world. In less than 29 years, Internet has become an indispensable tool for work and study, for news, entertainment, and social interaction across the world. 60% of the world population are now users of Internet. Cell phones have greatly contributed to the widespread use of Internet. Practical and easy to use, they are carried along by young and adult wherever they go. These smart gadgets have the potential to be used to convey a warning for the near future and the great hope of a better world. The digital project being implemented at this time in the Spanish work of God will use this resource for a righteous goal in a manner that will be educational and pleasant, interesting and timely, our subscribers will receive vital information for the success in their personal lives and the achievement of their ultimate destiny. There will be news presented within a prophetical perspective, a Spanish version of the successful Viewpoint short programs generated in Canada will also be available. We will present to the public in an agile and dynamic format the Spanish version of the Tomorrow's World magazine with great visual quality. People will be able to share their favorite Bible verses and interact in different ways with the content of the application. The church youth will contribute with messages and short videos about the numerous challenges they face in their daily lives in order to inspire and motivate a youthful audience in a confused world. Finally, those that will be called to be part of the Church of God will be able to approach us in a practical and easy way. In concluding, we want to mention with gratitude that God has provided people with great talent within the church for the implementation of this project. We have already hired five competent church members from different countries in Latin America that have committed themselves to the support and completion of this project. We are also blessed to have in the team 12 volunteers that with willing hearts have decided to be active contributors in the fulfillment of this project. It is truly inspiring to walk together 
in an unanimous effort through this new door that the Eternal has opened for the advancement of the Great Commission. We count on your intercession before Jesus Christ and our Father for their continual guidance in this new initiative. We wish all of you a very peaceful and inspiring Feast of Tabernacles. Thank you, Mr. Hernandez, for that report. It really is interesting what is being done. It's sort of fascinating what opportunities are coming up as a result of technology. Mr. Weston, the TV department recently completed a project of a commercial. Can you describe that and uh, how it's going to be used? We want to grow the subscriber base for the Tomorrow's World magazine. And I say subscriber, what we want is, is people who actually read it. A readership, we want a large readership, not just a large subscribership. But we have to get it into people's hands to find out who wants wants that. So through the course of time, we came up with the idea of uh, doing a television commercial. This is not on the telecast itself, but a television commercial. But it's more than that. It We have a 30-second, a 60-second, and a 90-second commercial. And we're starting it right now on the Internet, advertising the magazine on the Internet. And we're going to put it on television. We're already uh, working on that so that we can actually show it so that somebody looks on television watching something, and here comes this commercial for the Tomorrow's World magazine. Do you have the feeling our world is going in the wrong direction? A very bad direction? Where can you turn to make sense of a world that is spinning out of control? Tomorrow's World exposes the truth and reveals the real reasons behind today's news. And it just brings a peace of mind that I just really need in this time. Tomorrow's World magazine makes sense of today's chaos, looking at history, science, and current events through the pages of the Bible. The magazine has been very impactful for me to discern the biblical aspect of what is being said as opposed to a right or a left view. And I think that's important and you don't really get that anywhere else. The magazine doesn't tell me what to think. It guides me to a deeper understanding. And for us, it's really about the hope. The nice thing is that the subscription is free. The magazine often asks questions that I've never even thought to ask myself. It helps me be a better person. It's really nice that we have a magazine that we can trust. Join over 450,000 loyal readers and enjoy peace of mind knowing what's ahead. In times like these, we need real answers. Clarity, not confusion and truth instead of lies. Jesus commands, freely you have received, freely give. So every subscription is completely free. Visit TWMagazine.org to get yours now. How do you envision this being used, Mr. Simone? It has a potential to do well, and that's you know why we made some of the decisions to, to make the commercial and then, you know, pay for the airtime. It's it's not, you know, inexpensive, but it is something that does have a potential to get the magazine to a lot of people for a very low cost. A few years ago, one new project that was developed was called Viewpoint in Canada. Regional director of the Canadian area, Mr. Stuart Wahavich, is now going to describe a little bit about what's happening with Viewpoint.
Warm Feast of Tabernacles greetings to you all. I am very pleased to have been asked to describe the Tomorrow's World Viewpoint Initiative with you. A number of years ago, staff in our Canadian office tried to identify the segments of the population who are able to receive our Tomorrow's World television program or print media. The evidence available implied that the majority of viewers were an older demographic and already quite interested in religious matters. There was a growing portion of Canada's population, younger and detached from organized religion, which we were not reaching with the message of the gospel. Additionally, we found that many Canadians were opting out of TV cable subscriptions, rather watching media online, thus becoming less reachable by traditional television. We also recognized that in our society, there was a rapidly growing distrust of the Bible and the Christian religions associated with it. Since Jesus ordered us to preach the gospel unto all creatures, we felt an effort was needed to possibly connect with these folks. The question was how? Jonathan Riley, then our business manager, suggested using five-minute videos over the Internet. Given younger populations tend to access Internet through handheld devices, and are not always prone to watching longer productions, this made sense. Therefore, we opted to test if we could reach a population which was between 18 and 44, not overly religious, but realized or suspected that life did not start by accident. Our team then developed scripts and recorded and produced videos in several categories. History, including historical events linked to biblical history, social issues, which often lead the video to a biblical principle, morality, science, and creation. Our objective has been to produce videos that are information-rich and well-researched, hoping that viewers will trust Viewpoint as an information source, one they can share with others and often come back to view again. Ultimately, the goal is to have the viewer connect the name Tomorrow's World with that which is an honest and reliable source of interesting information and wisdom. There has been a steady growth in viewership. Since the inception of Viewpoint, the subscriber base has grown to over 30,000, which represents, just in 2021, a 30% increase over 2020. Likewise, the total views are over 6.2 million in June 2021, a 35% increase over all of 2020. It is interesting that although we only advertise in Canada, only 45% of viewers are Canadian, with 55% coming from over 50 nations worldwide. The target audience is as we planned, most aged between 18 and 44, and 70% male. Now that we know we can acquire and retain an audience, we are hoping to increase the percentage of our viewers who will then visit the Tomorrow's World website, view Tomorrow's World programs, acquire selected church literature, and become Tomorrow's World subscribers, print or online. Once the English version was developed and successfully tested, our French staff began producing a French version called Point de Vue. We are pleased to have presenters for the French version from different parts of the French-speaking world. Mr. Peter Lim of Australia has done remarkable work translating and then creating Chinese subtitles for Viewpoint, which is to be presented on the Church's Hong Kong website. 
Mr. Lin has also translated all of the Bible course lessons, nearly all of the church's booklets, and numerous magazine articles, which are now available and can be promoted through Viewpoint and other ads. We also understand consideration in some areas is being given to translate viewpoints into Spanish, German, and Afrikaans. There is much work to be done in this platform to make it a more effective conveyor for the Church's message. But to date, we have been able to engage a substantial number of people who are younger, not traditional viewers of tomorrow's world, and who are generally not coming from a religious background. We do pray that God will guide this effort and its further development, so it can be used as a useful tool for those God wishes to call and make a part of this work. I'm Stuart Vahavich for Tomorrow's World Viewpoint. On behalf of our staff, we'd like to wish you all an inspiring Feast of Tabernacles. Thank you, Mr. Wahavich. That was interesting because uh, his description in his report was actually done in the style of a viewpoint as well. Mr. Weston, you were involved in Canada in even the inception of Viewpoint. Can you describe to us what are the goals of it and, and what are the, some of the challenges? Well, I think the uh, the Viewpoint itself gave the, the idea of reaching a, a different audience. I actually had nothing to do with it. Uh, this was the, the brainchild of Jonathan Riley, our, our business manager, who has a lot of artistic ability. And he was one that came up with the idea. It's following on the line of uh, PragerU, for those who are familiar with that particular, uh, th those shorts that they have. But it's proven to be very successful. So we got their attention that the challenge is how do we take it from getting the attention of these people to turning them to the gospel. And obviously, if they like the viewpoint and they go back there and subscribe, it's, it's generated a lot of subscriptions then they go back there and they'll see other viewpoints like one on the Easter rabbit or Easter bunny that Mr. Riley did and showing how it is paganized and then offers the, the Easter booklet. Mr. Wesson, here's another question for you. What are go-tos? Can you define what that means? And also, why is it important that we focus on their development? Well, go-tos are people who have shown some interest in baptism, church attendance, meeting with other people. And so they're very important, and how we handle them is important. We've tried to work with our ministry to be very welcoming. Mr. DeSimone did a, a bit of a test in, in how we approach go-tos. And sometimes we have the approach of we have to be so careful to, to allow anybody to come to services. If God is calling somebody, we don't want to put roadblocks in front of them we don't want to have an open door as such. We want maybe what we call a screen door. We, we, there are some really nutcases out there that we don't want coming to our services. But at the same time, we don't want to put roadblocks in front of normal people who are asking very serious questions, and they, they may want to learn more about the, the living church of God. So we have to, to approach them properly. We have tomorrow's world presentations. How would you describe the effectiveness or the importance of our, what we call TWPs? Well, I think they're very important. I always try to let the members know that our expectations are reasonable. I expect one and a half to two people to come along as a result of any one given TWP. But we've introduced the truth to many different people. And I think it's so important for our members to recognize that their example not talking about something nutty, 
or, or getting in their face and, and grilling them, but, but just being friendly and warm and welcoming uh, is so important because this is the first time that many of these people have ever met a Church of God member. Sometimes it gets theoretical. It's just kind of online and impersonal. But when they can come to see a, a real presenter, and uh, sometimes I've even a couple times they've even given me money. I said, "Well, no, wait a minute. This this is a contribution to the church, you know, not to me." Uh, but but they are really excited about seeing a person on television or our our particular writers for Tomorrow's World magazine, and then. It's so wonderful and inspiring for our church members, too. And as Mr. Weston said, it's very important for our brethren to make them feel warm and welcome to have that very personal, person-to-person contact. We've talked a lot about things that are going on here in the office, in the U.K., in South Africa, in, the, in Canada. We have offices in Australia and the Caribbean, all over the place. But we've also got individual members all over the world who many of them are watching this, uh, God willing, at the feast. If you could say one thing to them about their responsibility in this work, what would you say? I would certainly say to pray for the work, to pray for God's guidance to pray for wisdom, to pray for boldness. And, you know, we we talked before about praying for boldness. Uh, I think in particular for the evangelist, they're the ones that guide and direct and make those decisions, to pray for those things. Again, we we talked about we cannot do this by ourselves. It will not be done by ourselves. We have to do our part. We've got to plant the seeds. We've got to throw out the seeds. But we cannot do it by ourselves. We need prayers. And and I believe entirely and fully, and I think we all do believe, that those prayers absolutely 100% make a difference. And I think God can smooth the path for us. He can help us avoid troubles. You know, we talk about experimenting and everything like that. All, all that's great. Well, he can help where those things seem to work out better than they would if we were just doing this by ourselves. We need the prayers of the brethren. We need the prayers for sure. Mr. Smith, is this just a work going on in Adelaide, Australia, in Mississauga, Ontario, or is this something that every single person is involved in? It absolutely is something every single person is involved in. You know, Mr. DeSimone was talking about their prayers. Definitely their financial contribution is part of what makes it possible as a product of this work. I would not be here. I was 14 years old. I, I couldn't pay for the magazine. I'm, I'm still in high school and I didn't have a job at the time. I would not have been here if it wasn't for those in the 70s and 80s who were faithfully, financially supporting what we do. But then beyond that, the work really is done inside every congregation. Like I think I, I mentioned earlier, the brethren take everything we write in the magazine, take everything we say on the telecast, everything we say in a booklet, The brethren are those teachings turned into flesh and bone. And when someone walks into that congregation and they shake that first hand and they have that first conversation, they're looking to see the things they've just seen in Scripture come to life. 
and the work continues in that membership. So that's what I would encourage the brethren to do, to don't grow weary in well-doing, that, that they're a vital part of everything we do. They are, in a sense, the living, breathing ambassador of everything Christ has been telling these people through these various media, and to, to pick up your part of that and to continue with it and to be what those people need. Mr. Ames, why is it so important that each one of us get involved in the work and and all of these things that we're discussing how does that pertain to every single one of us well of course every individual is as dr marathon would say is precious in god's sight and so every individual has his or her part but god has given us the responsibilities of supporting the work uh, mr armstrong said so many times he said oh these 37 years i've seen that those who grow spiritually are those who have their heart in the work and if we're going to grow spiritually, we need to have that, that heartfelt concern because you see the world is so terrible. Our DVD, a world gone mad, you realize we need God's kingdom. And our brethren can pray for that. They're supporting us uh, here at headquarters. We appreciate so much that support. And as mentioned, they are ambassadors for Christ as well. But they need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and realize, yes, we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. Uh, Christianity is a way of life. It's a way of giving. And as long as we reflect that light, we reflect Jesus Christ, we're projecting the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc., uh, then we will be the ones who, who will have an influence on those who are coming into the congregation and influence to our family and friends and relatives. And eventually, of course, uh, those who have been uh, our relatives who will be in the white throne judgment. What we do now has lasting effects even uh, beyond this world and beyond the, today's world. So, so uh, we need to just keep seeking the kingdom of God first and loving one another and uh, supporting the work. Mr. Weston, as, as we wrap this up and as you think about all of us worldwide around the world, what can we individually do to move the work forward? I think a good starting place is to take the, the phrases that we use, for example, taking the gospel to the world, giving the Ezekiel warning message. We need to take those as more than simple statements. We have the ability to memorize something, but once we memorize something, for example, John 3.16, I point that out in, in that booklet, once we memorize the verse, we can kind of check that off as, okay, I've got this, without going back and actually looking at what that verse means. And so when we say, take the gospel of the world, or to warn the world of what is to come, we have to recognize that that has to be translated into actual actions, and it has to be a part of our, our very being, where that is the reason for our existence. Too much of the time, people, I think, historically in the past have not appreciated that calling that God has given us, and they have taken the approach of, this is about my personal salvation. And as Mr. Ames was expressing there, Mr. Armstrong recognized the need to do the work. Mr. Meredith recognized the need to do the work. When he started the Global Church of God, he immediately began doing the work, preaching the gospel to the world, warning the world of what was to happen. So these have to be more than simple 
mantras that we use or simple expressions that we can, I can say it, now I can check it off. But what does that mean? And I hope that we've been able to do that in this presentation to be able to give a, a feeling for what we are really about here. Well, thank you, Mr. Weston. Thank you, Mr. Ames, Mr. DeSimone, Mr. Smith, for taking the time today to, to join us for this discussion. It's been fascinating, and I hope it has been interesting to all of you. And uh, we just want to wish you all a fantastic rest of the feast. As you have seen, we, we have a fantastic opportunity to be a part of God's work today. There's a lot of work to do. We can't do it by ourselves, as we've been talking about here. But there's so many new opportunities and new avenues that it is exciting to, to think about what's ahead of us. So thank you for your heartfelt support. Thank you for your dedication in God's work. Thank you for all that everyone is contributing, as we heard the gentleman here speak just a moment ago. As we prepare for this world to receive Christ and for Him to reign on this earth, we, we pray for that day and we accomplish the work and pray that God would accomplish the work through us. So have a wonderful rest of the Feast of Tabernacles and an inspiring last great day.